Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. Well, it's no surprise to anybody listening to this that we're still in the middle of the COVID crisis. And at least where I am in the Pacific Northwest, most places are still under shelter-in-place guidelines. And there's some businesses that are beginning to open up. There's many that have deemed themselves essential and they're trying to plod through. But what we all know is that business looks different than it did three months ago. And I'm excited about this episode today because I felt like the timing was very relevant to talk about how companies respond to crisis. And what I've realized throughout this COVID-19 pandemic is that there's companies all over the board in regards to the way they've chosen to respond. And there's some businesses that have just pretty much gone into shelter-in-place mode. They duck their head, they lay off staff, they cut costs, and they wait. And there's other businesses that don't panic, that think clearly and proactively, and they start asking the questions, where is the opportunity and what can we do to reach our customers and be there for our team members now more than ever when they need us? And I'm excited about this conversation today because I'm speaking with a leader who was able to make a very quick pivot in regards to the way that they found opportunity in the midst of COVID-19. And I think that there's some really good insight on the thought process that we all need to have. Now, one thing I'm going to share with you before we get into this conversation is how one of my friends, Grant Falco, responded to this crisis. When COVID-19 hit, just like was true for every business, he was majorly disrupted, right? We came back from the HPB Expo in New Orleans to a different world. And after going through the, the same fear that everybody has to deal with, he decided to do something about it. And he went on the offensive, making a plan of how he was going to attack this, hold on to his team members, and come through stronger on the other side. What this has culminated in is a message to his community. And so basically what Grant did is he called me up and we put together a message for his community, Spokane. And we put together a hashtag called Spokane Rises. And the idea was that we wanted to create a message that the entire community could get around and use as a rallying cry to help support the small businesses that have always been there for them. And so what we did is we put together a script and we asked ourselves, if we were in the community, if we were at home scared and uncertain, what would be the message that we need to hear to inspire us to be there for our community. And after that, we planned out the shots that needed to be taken and Grant went and found a videographer and this video is unreal. For anybody that's trying to figure out what is my messaging during the crisis, you need to take a look at this because it's genuine and authentic, but it is calling the community to action. So if you want to, you can open up the show notes of this episode and you're going to see a link to the YouTube video. If you like it or want to share it, make sure to use that hashtag Spokane Rises. You know, I think right now businesses haven't been sure, am I supposed to sell? Am I supposed to just be there for my customers? And we tried to put this video together to address exactly what needs to be done. 
So with that said, we're going to jump into the conversation. As always, we'll circle back at the end. I'll have some parting thoughts on the mentality that we need to have as we continue to forge out the new normal in the wake of this crisis. Joining me from Baltimore, Maryland, is the Director of Sales at Ray Murray. I'm joined by Casey Harvey. How you doing, Casey? Good. Thanks for having me, Tim. Hey, my pleasure, man. I'm excited that you're here. And I think that this conversation, obviously the timing is more important than ever that we start discussing what do we do in response to this crisis. But before we get to that, I'd love to have you share just a little bit about what you do and how it was that you got there. Sure. Yeah. So my my history in the in the fireplace business is, is probably like everybody else's that didn't grow up in it. You know, nobody uh, <laughs> gets out of school saying, ah, you know, I'm going to be in the fireplace business. So my route, it's interesting when I when I talk with customers and dealers, uh, that's one of the first things I ask is, how'd you get in this crazy business? Because the stories are always really interesting. Yeah. Um, generally, if, if you're not, uh, you know, second or third generation, um, the path is, is typically crazy. So I got out of school with a, a degree in philosophy, and my uh, my aim was to uh, be a, uh, a professor. So I got into a bunch of grad programs and really was kind of burned out um, uh you know, after college and before grad school, and needed a job. Ended up getting a job at a propane and heating oil company in Baltimore, just as a customer service rep in the summer. Ended up staying on, spent two years as a frontline customer service rep at a heating oil company, and it, it was it's intense, especially in the winter time. Phones oh, are yeah. always ringing. It, it was it was intense, and just really worked my way up there. Um, started a propane division there, and was involved in starting that. Um, uh, so quickly rose through the ranks, uh, doing sales, doing marketing and, you know, becoming a sales manager, marketing manager, things like that. And in my late twenties, I was kind of, uh, hit a ceiling, you know, unless I, I married into the family that, that was kind of where I was going to be. Oh, yeah. There was no, no other place to go. Uh, so I started looking around and, and Ray Murray was one of our suppliers, one of our vendors and I reached out, you know, just kind of on a whim to somebody I do and sent my resume in and, Went up to meet those guys. They're uh, headquartered in the Berkshire Mountains in Western Mass, a beautiful place, and uh, really just fell in love with the business when I got there. It was a, an interesting time for Ray Murray. They were kind of in the same boat I was in. It was a second generation, really no succession plan, um, kind of a, a mom and pop shoestring together kind of distribution business. Um, and at that point, you know, a couple of years before I started, they brought on our, our president and, and owner now, Mike Hopsicker, and he was running a very large um, fuel co-op uh, in the Northeast Agway. Um, they sold their business to Suburban Propane and um, came into Ray Murray as a, kind of the next generation. Yeah. So they were transitioning at, at that time too to become a, you know more professional and uh, and expand their business. So it was a good time to to be in the in that business. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, it's funny. No one sets out to get into the business, but once you're here, we talk about this a lot on yeah. the podcast. Like, it's an awesome business to be in. Yeah, I love it. It's it's so good. You know, it, it kind of hits everything. You know, it's got some technical stuff. It's got a lot of creative, a lot of merchandising, a lot of retail. It's just a lot of that kind of stuff that I dig. So yeah, I love it. Well, Casey, the reason I wanted to have you on was to talk specifically about the COVID-19 crisis and your response to it. But what I want to do is back up and ask you, where were you specifically when this thing hit and what was going through your mind? 
Yeah, probably like a lot of folks, it was at the HPBA show, right? So, so prior to that, prior to the show, you know, you'd see the news and say, "Man, this is kind of crazy." But it really didn't hit home till till he got at the show, and and uh, or or maybe the week leading up to it, you know, when things got serious and shows were getting canceled and you know lockdowns started happening. So it was it was kind of at that show that you know, I mean, you were there. It was uh, yeah. it was a weird vibe. It was it was pretty intense. Um, you know, there's a lot of gallows humor going on there and, uh, it was kind of a, a mixed bag of, um, responses there. You know, uh, most people that I talked to, and I don't know if it was bravado or not at the show, were basically like, you know, let's, it's going to be a two week shutdown. Yep. It'll be over. It's going to be a huge bounce back. It's no big deal. And, uh, you know, I was pretty convinced that, you know, this is going to be a long-term deal. I mean, you know, at that time. You know, you saw China was just kind of getting out of it yeah. after you know, three or four months. Italy was going nuts. And I was like, eh, this is pretty serious. I think we're in for at least a couple months of this. And then uh, you know, what are we going to do? You know, what are yeah. we going to do? How are we going to reach our customers? You know, what does that look like? And, you know, the moment I got off the plane back home um, that Friday night, you know, they closed schools for, for two months. And it was, you know, that's when you knew it was, it was you know, things weren't going to be the way they were. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about, it. I was at that show too and the vibe down there, it felt very insulated. Like, it, cause I swear we were like the last trade show that didn't get canceled. So you're yeah. there and you're kind of in a bubble thinking like, yeah. well, it's not, it's not that different. Like, you know, yeah, you got kind of COVID in the back of your mind, but it was kind of like situation normal. You just go about the trade show. And I remember me and my wife stayed a couple extra days to hang out in new Orleans we were worried about even getting home. We're like, are we going to have to yeah. rent a car and like drive home to Oregon from New Orleans? Like, what about our kids? We made it yeah. home. And, and I mean, coming back that day, it was a different world that we yeah. arrived at than yeah. when we left. Yeah. 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 So that was, that was kind of ground zero for us. And, and I think for the industry in general, for sure. So you, you had to pivot real quickly and, and right away what Ray Murray did is you guys launched a series of free webinars that have had a lot of success. I want to ask you, how did you pivot so fast and, and why have those webinars had success when other companies that have tried to do the same thing haven't had to take off? Yeah, I think, A, you know, we got out quick uh, to do it. And, and the, con- the concept was, you know, kind of lightning quick. It was, you know, essentially, you know, my concept was let's do trainings. You know, Ray Murray, um, you know, part of our DNA is uh, technical support and training. That's what we do. That's what we're known for. That's what we're famous for in the industry. We've always done that. That's been a, an essential part of what we do. Um, you know, with our sales sales force kind of grounded, it was like you know we gotta we gotta do something to stay in front of our customers. And for me, coming back, it was um, uh, almost therapeutic to just unplug and talk about BTUs and talk about vent runs and kind of shut off the news. And that, that's yeah. what I wanted to do. So really that was the concept of let's set these things up for half an hour every morning. Guys unplug from the chaos of what's going on, plug in, um, you know, get some information and, um, you know, hopefully that's helpful for their business. And then also really just kind of have a, a little normal piece of time where, you know, the world wasn't falling apart. Um, so that was the concept. Same time every day, um, same, um, process to get into the meetings every day. So it was really, I really wanted to have it a routine. So you knew at yeah. 10 o'clock every day for a half an hour, half an hour only, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to plug in and then I've got the rest of my day to do what I'm doing. So that was kind of the concept. And we pulled it off, 
you know, pretty quick. And oh, yeah. um, I think that was the success was having it, you know, be short, be sweet to the point um, and having the process be kind of a routine deal, you know? So what I want to ask then is how, how did you guys make a cohesive plan to do this in the midst of that chaos? Cause I'm assuming like you guys hadn't run webinars on this scale before every day of the week, we're rocking the same, you know, the same time right. a webinar. How did you make a plan that quickly while there's chaos just everywhere? Yeah. I mean, essentially, uh, you know, what, what I did was I, I, I took the calendar, you know, and I said, I want to start on, I don't remember what the first day was. I think April 6th, you know, so it was pretty quick after that show. Um, and, and every day, and I basically penciled in our, our different vendors and topics, um, scheduled it out ahead of time and, and went to our vendors and said, this is what we're doing. I need your yeah. participation in this. Right. Um, so it, it was something that, you know, they didn't have to come up with platforms. They didn't have to figure out how to do it. Um, it was done and we've used go to meeting before that's a platform we used here and you know, I was pretty familiar with it, but, um, that's essentially it. We, we said, this is what we're doing. We expect you as our vendor partners to kind of step up and lead these classes. This is when you're going to be on, this is how to do it super easy. And that's, you know, that's what we did. Uh, well, I love the decisiveness. You know, I, I've seen some companies that have acted intentionally like you guys did, but there's been plenty of other companies that haven't acted intentionally. They got hit with this yeah. and just panic and fear ensues. And they're yeah. thinking about how can we slash our prices? How, what, what team members do we need to lay off? That's their yeah. first thought as opposed to, okay, yeah. how can I reach my customers during this time? What do we need to do to stay relevant? Like those are two different series of questions. And I think the companies that acted like you did are the ones that are going to win. Yeah. Listen, we're going to, you know, I'm, I'm not retiring anytime soon. So we're, we're here for the long haul. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where business is built on, uh, you know, what are we going to do now? And if we're going to do something now, it's not going to be a little short-term flash in the pan. It's got to be, um, you know, make sense and, and be sustainable. So, you know, cutting, you know, folks or resources is just, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face there. It's, it's not a good position to be in. Uh, you know, we've been through this before, you know, in the downturn, um, the housing market, 2008, 2009, 2010, um, you know, we didn't lay off any sales folks. Um, you know, that's a time where you have to hang on to your, your best folks. Yeah. Um, th those are the folks that are going to find, find something yep. elsewhere. Right. So you, you got to hang on to these guys, figure out a way to get through it. Um, and this is kind of adapt or die times. And this was one of those things that we could do just to keep the connection with our, with our customers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like that. And and I I feel like you guys with your webinars, there's been a level of professionalism and success that I haven't seen with every company. Like there's been a lot of companies that have kind of been just jumping on. Oh, everybody's doing webinars, so we need to start doing them yeah. as well. And there's been varied success. How have you been able to keep the quality so consistent? Well, I think having them um, super short, okay, and and super focused makes it really easy to to hit the point. Um, you know, the feedback we've gotten, you know, to to your point has been basically, you know, your webinars, not to toot our own horn, but your coffee talks have been far and away, you know, better than any of our vendors, better yeah. than, than anything else. You know, it's something we look forward to. Um, so keeping them short and sweet and having a focus for each one, um, you know, not that we're going to take, uh, uh, you know, majestic fireplaces and condense that session down to 30 minutes, right? That doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. So let's focus on, you know, specific products, new products, categories, uh, things like that, that you can really, um, you know, go a little bit deeper in and, and, and focused on. I think it's a great approach. You knew what you were going after 
and you hit uh-huh. it with focus. So, so whether you're listening to this and you, and you want to provide long form content where you're providing something that's an hour and a half, two hours, or whether you're doing short, punchy snippets, I think knowing what you're going after is super important. And there's a lot of companies that just, well, we're going to do webinars. What's that look like? Who knows? Let's just do them and see what happens. That, that doesn't really work. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this was an opportunity for, for us and um, you know, our vendor partners also. So I, I always, I love putting together presentations and, and, uh, and, and training sessions and things like that. And, and you probably do too, because it enables me to refine, you know, my thinking process. Oh, yeah. I, I learn, I always learn more when I do these things. Yes. Um, you know, for me, kind of my creative process is I start out with a lot, right? I, I start writing a lot and, and, t- and then end up kind of chiseling down to get to oh, the yeah. nut of what we're doing. And part of the, the focus of having these little constraints, this 30 minute constraint is it forces you to really focus in on what's important and what's not important. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and you could kind of take that and, and writ large it, but you know, having those constraints, um, you know, really gives you freedom in yep. some oh, ways yeah. to, to focus in. Right. Oh man, dude, we could do a whole podcast about how constraint actually gives you freedom. That's like oh, yeah, one of the absolutely. fundamental right. beliefs of my life is that freedom yeah. is found in constraint, not yeah. in uninhibited, um, yeah. freedom. It's just not. Yeah. I mean, you know, this as a, as a musician, you know, not to get too off track, but you know, we always record in a studio, uh, because you know, if I sat at, at my house with phone recording software, which you can do these days, that sounds magnificent. Uh, I would never be able to finish a song, you know, yep. but being in a studio for five days, um, you know, this is what we got to do. This is the way we got to do it. And these are the tracks we have to lay out. And, um, you know, you get more freedom and you get to play around more once you know those constraints. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. I love that. Okay. So I want to ask you this. So obviously you're putting this content out and you're staying in touch with a lot of people. What, what are you saying that the market looks like right now? And, and how do you think this is going to affect the future of where business is in our industry? Um, you know, we cover a, a pretty big market. So we, uh, yeah. we basically cover everything east of the Mississippi. So it's, it's really regionalized the impact now, right? So the Northeast, you know, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, you know, that area is just, you know, has been shut down and kind of decimated. Um, the South has been pretty open, you know? Um, so that stuff has been really regional. I think what we have seen, um, obviously is kind of the acceleration of the shift to, uh, online, right? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'm convinced that, um, you know, that's going to be a bigger and bigger part of our business to, to yeah. go forward. And the dealers that, uh, retailers that can figure that out, um, are going to be the ones that win in the long term, Right. Yeah. So I think it's, um, so I do think, you know, on the online thing that, um, once we get out of the, you know, in the next six months or so or 12 months or however long it takes us to kind of get back to, you know, get the health issues out of the way with the coronavirus, um, folks will come back to retail. Okay. I think, um, you know, there's going to be a, I just miss going shopping kind of a thing, right? So I, I don't think it's going to, you know, retail hasn't completely gone away. Uh, but they're going to go back to retailers uh, that provide a, uh, a fun experience, right? Yep. Anything that you can do online, uh, you know, for stuff that you don't enjoy doing, you're going to do now, yep. right? It's just gotten easier and easier to do that. Um, so in our industry, you know, I think part of it is making, um, 
you know, creating these good experiences uh, in experiential shopping, um, you know, shopping environment and making it, you know, fun that, you, you know, I want to go to a retail shop and um, I can prep ahead of time by using, you know, online information and things like yep. that. Um, but, you know, those, the merging of those two worlds, uh, that's where you know, retailers are going to win, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm convinced that the digital plus physical buying experience is the silver bullet for retailers because yeah. you yeah. think about online only vendors, and, and this is something that I've been talking about with Grant Falco in some of our webinars, is that our industry has bought into a myth of e-commerce where we believe that e-commerce is only one model and it means I sell nationwide into other people's territory and I don't support my product. And that's not the only model of e-commerce. And I think what's happening with the COVID crisis is that we're starting to open our eyes and say, you know what? There actually is an e-commerce model that I can utilize in my local market. And if you think about this, if you're if you're a local retailer, having a digital plus physical experience is your unshoppable value wedge against an online-only only vendor. Because having a physical space like you have is what an online-only vendor would dream of. They would dream of yeah. it. But their problem is when you're an online-only vendor selling nationwide, you cannot physically be everywhere. And sure, over time, they might try to make install installation relationships. But those, there's a lot of relationships and a lot of scale that has to go right for that to win. Where for you, you're already localized. So that digital plus physical buying experience, it's a value wedge to separate you from the noise that's trying to disrupt you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you know, uh, shop on, you know, shop local, um, you know, that will, you know, folks are going to want to look to support their local businesses. So I think there's, you know, there, there is some silver, silver linings there, um, you know, but you, know, you make an eloquent point there about having that, that full experience of online, um, you know, and, you know, showroom, um, whether it's a physical showroom that you go to, you know, or a mobile showroom. You know, yep. that you take on the road, right? So, um, and again, that's stuff that's you know not repeatable, uh, you know, for for online only guys. So, yeah. with you there. So, Casey, I want to ask you, what are customers looking for right now from their suppliers during a time of crisis like this? You know, I think um, you know one, they're looking for uh, flexibility. Okay, um, in terms of um, uh, you know helping, you know. Uh, I guess I don't want to get into kind of, you know, to too many details because there's a lot going on there, but, you know, really flexibility, kind of meet me where I am and help me get through this crisis, I guess is kind of what I'm trying to say. So whether it's, um, you know, inventory or dating terms or working with me on credit, uh, things like that, um, you, you know, that's what gets you through a crisis is those relationships. And I believe, you know, the more you work with your customers that, um, you know, those good deeds, you know, come back and build that kind of equity and, uh, and partnership to, to go forward. So, you know, having flexibility to kind of meet your customers where they are to understand their challenges, um, you know, to have what they need when they need it. Um, you know, so what we've seen in, in the distribution side of the business is a lot of our manufacturers have gone down or shut down. Um, uh, for various lengths of time production. Um, so one of the benefits distributors have is, is deeper inventory uh, than a lot of our just-in-time manufacturer, lean mm-hmm. manufacturing folks, okay? Um, and also distributors that have um, uh, generally larger inventory capacities. Uh, you know, it's, it's the folks that were kind of operating on the margins really got squeezed out, um, yep. you know, over the last two months. Yeah. 
So for you as a leader, you know, you had to make some quick decisions and, and, and pivot and be very sure of those decisions going forward in the midst of chaos. Why is it so important right now as a leader to be so grounded in a time of uncertainty? Well, you know, it's easy to get caught up in, in kind of the emotion of where we're at and what's going on. But, you know, for us, I think, um, you know, the decisions we made weren't really um, new decisions or, 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 you know, new strategies or 180s. It was maybe, you know, kind of things we were always doing, just done a little bit differently. Values we've always had, we've always valued training. Okay, so let, let's figure out a way to, to deliver that you know, in a format that, that makes sense. You know, we've always valued, um, you know, our inventory capacity. Well, let's figure out what that means, um, you know, in terms of being a better partner. You know, we've always valued having, uh, uh, the, you know, what we consider some of the best business intelligence around. So yeah. looking at a market and identifying, helping our customers identify, you know, what's going on in each market, uh, whether we're looking at housing starts or whether we're looking at, you know, how many homes in a county, um, you know, have wood heat. So, you know, that kind of stuff, and we can, you know, we can kind of uh, package that a little bit differently and, and go to market a little bit differently. But those kind of insights are not new, right? I mean, those are our values. It's just kind of adapting those for, for where we're at. As a distributor, I think one of the biggest pieces of value you can give your customers is business intelligence like that, because you've got perspective on market trends that individual retailers don't. And I think it's amazing that you're leveraging that. Obviously, it sounds like you'd, you'd been thinking about that for a while, but because you were grounded in that, you were able to figure out new ways to apply it. You weren't reinventing the wheel, thinking, wait, how do we deliver business value to our to our dealers now that we have to do a webinar? It was already there. You just had to lock and load it. Yeah. And I think it's, um, you know, it's being authentic to who you are and, you know, whether, you know, we're dealing with our, our dealers as customers or, you know, as, as retailers with their own customers, I think authenticity to kind of who you are, um, you know, really goes a long way. Right. So, you know, if, if training wasn't important to us, you know, or if sharing business intelligence wasn't important to us before, and now all of a sudden, you know, Hey, we got all this great stuff to share. Business is down, you know, let's work with you to figure out how to make, you know, so that stuff folks kind of end up seeing right through that. So, you know, having an authentic and consistent, you know, uh, value proposition is, is really important. That's really good. Okay. I got one last question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot. This crisis has made everybody just think about things differently. And I want to know what is one thing that no one in the industry is talking about right now that they should be. So I'll, I'll give you two things and I think they're kind of related and it's not that nobody's talking about it, but I think not, not, not enough people are talking about it. So number one, uh, you know, the trend we've seen over the last five or six years of uh, despecifying fireplaces. Okay. Um, you know, uh, HPBA has kind of talked around it a little bit, but not a lot being done at the national level. And quite frankly, business was good for most dealers. Okay. Um, and I think what we've seen as price points have gone up, you know, on units, um, it's kind of masked the actual yes. quantity of units, yes. right? Okay. Um, so I think we're, we're losing ground there. Okay. And, you know, that certainly needs to be top of mind is, yes, how do we grow you know, top line revenue uh, while at the same time, you know, growing, you know, continuing, you know, continuing our quantity sales, right? So, you know, my personal fireplace story is uh, I grew up in, uh, you know, the half of homes in this country that didn't have a fireplace. Okay. So I grew up 
no fire. I didn't have a fireplace. You know, my wife, by, you know, freak of uh, demographics, grew up with no fireplace. Okay. So when we went to buy our first home, you know, fireplaces were nowhere on the list of things <laughs> we ought to look for in a new home. No idea. Didn't know what I was missing. Didn't care. Okay. Um, so, you know, the, I guess the, the takeaway there is, um, uh, you know, I was, I grew up in one of those despecified homes, right? And the more, you know, the more that, that number creeps down, you know, we're, the less future generations we are down the line. You know, there's, uh, you know, kind of what, uh, you know, what sports teams try to do or, you know, with these youth nights is, is develop the next generation of fans. Oh, yeah. Okay, right? So, they, you know, a lot of outreach to kids so that when they grow up, they take their kids to a ball game and it's part of their life. Um, you know, same with fireplaces. I didn't grow up with a fireplace. Now I have one now, you know, because I'm in the industry, but it just wasn't important to me. wasn't on the radar, you know, and, um, you know, if we bought a house and I wasn't in this industry, didn't have a fireplace, it wouldn't be on my kids' radar either. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of the multiple, the multiplying effect of the, of the despecification is not only are we losing fireplaces now, uh, but down the line, it becomes less and less important to future consumers. Right. Man, that's insightful. I love it. And I think you're right that until very recently, there were not many people talking about this and we got to throw everything into it because for the last eight years, we could be lazy. Yeah, sure. We're losing, we're losing market share on the incidence rate nationally, but you know what? We're still making tons of money because our, our prices are getting higher and you're right. That has masked the effect of what's going on. But now that we've had the rug pulled out on our top line sales, all of a sudden we're looking around saying, man, not that much stuff is getting specced. And if it wasn't getting specced before, what's going to happen now on the backside of this thing? Like we're going to have to do some hard work to start winning those specs back. Yeah. So, and then, and then the other, the other issue that kind of goes hand in hand with that to some extent is, um, um, climate change. Okay. And, um, you know, and that, so, you know, and that has, you know, has to do with, uh, you know, feeds into the despecification process. Right. So, um, you know, the owner of Ray Murray, you know, Mike Kopsicker would always say, you know, uh, you know, we're in the fireplace business. Um, you know, fire, fire has been fundamental to the human, you know, human race since you know, the caveman days, right? That's one of his quotes. Yep. And, uh, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, burning, you know, burning wood or uh, pellets or gas uh, or electric or whatever the, the, the next fuel can be, I guess is irrelevant. So this, um, you know, we've got to kind of embrace the product, uh, not the fuel and the lifestyle and not the product. And, and I guess one of my pet peeves in the industry is really kind of, and we see this, you know, driven from manufacturers is reducing, you know, this fireplace experience to an appliance, right? We see manufacturers talk about appliance oh, yeah. sales and appliance units and listen, a washing machine is an appliance. Okay. Yeah. Uh, clothes dryer is an appliance. My furnace is an appliance. Toaster is an appliance. I don't get excited about shopping about those things. Um, so, you know, when we continue to kind of push fireplaces as, as appliances, uh, again, you know, A, that pushes stuff online because it's not fun to shop. Uh, it commoditizes if I can buy a toaster it. online instead of going to Target, you know, I, I will do that all day long. Um, you know, and if a fireplace is, a, is an appliance, um, you know, why wouldn't I just buy that online? Oh man, that's so good. Yeah. Marketing people that are listening to this, take note of that. You know, we sell, we sell an emotionally driven product and there absolutely is technical value. There's a lot of things to it that are important to talk about, but at the end of the day, the reason consumers buy it is because how it makes them feel. Right. Right. 
Well, Casey, this has been awesome. I appreciate you coming on to the show, man. I think that you guys are doing just some really cool things, and I think that people are going to get a ton of insight just hearing about your thought process and how you chose to respond to this crisis. Good. Thanks for having me, Tim. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Casey. He was somebody that I thought about as I saw him putting together these webinars, and I think what he did really well was the fact that he responded so quickly, and I think that Ray Murray really set the bar for what a regular series of webinars in our industry needs to look like. Now, as we back up and think about it from the beginning, when you listen to Casey, he didn't panic, right? So when he got home from Expo, I'm sure that there was fear in the back of his mind about this is uncertain, what are things going to look like in the future, but he didn't act out of panic, and that is so important. The question that he was asking is, we're in this situation now, times are uncertain, so what can we do to reach our customers? What is going to give them value while they're in a position to not be able to sell as much? And the answer was training. And that's the absolute truth. I love how their webinar series was short and sweet. Now, there's nothing against webinars that are longer, but I think for him, what they chose to do is right because they don't have the same types of speakers coming on every week. And if push comes to shove, it's better to give somebody a little bit less and leave them wanting more than give them too much and feel like, well, I don't need to go back for anything else. So that was really, really intelligent. They also had the webinars available at the same time every single week. And if you look at the results of it, it was really effective. Ray Murray is now seen as one of the guides that is there for their customers during this time. And that's really important. Now, circling out a little bit bigger picture, I was putting together some thoughts about what I've learned during this crisis. And it kind of comes down to a, a few different things. Number one, what I've learned in this crisis is that preparation matters. There's a lot of businesses that are reeling because they weren't adequately prepared. And hopefully these businesses make it through, but there are going to be some that end up closing their doors because they weren't ready for this. Now, obviously no one could have seen this coming, at least to the scale that it's at, but we still all need to be ready for a rainy day. I think about for me, I left my job right when this crisis started. And that was a planned move between me and Fireside. We'd walk down that path for a number of months. And I left on great terms. But the only way I was able to see that through was the preparation that our family had made for the better part of a year leading up to this. And I was telling my wife the other day that I'm thankful that, that we'd prepared. I'm thankful that, yeah, this has been a disruption, but we've not been shaken to our core because of the way that we've set aside our finances, we've lived below our means, and we've put ourselves in a position to be able to weather a storm. And I, the same thing is true for our businesses. The businesses that have been prepared for a rainy day that aren't scrambling month to month to make payroll are the ones who are going to be stronger on the other side of this. Another thing that I've learned is that in a crisis, communication matters. I've seen companies that have not had good communication with their team members. And it's not even necessarily that they made the wrong decisions. It's that those decisions were not communicated clearly. And in a time of crisis, when fear and panic 
are in place, it's more important than ever that the leaders of a company communicate with extreme clarity. They communicate over and over and over again, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what that means for our company. This is why it was a difficult decision, and here's what it will mean for us in the future. As a leader, the way that you communicate in many ways is actually more important than the decision that you make. And the reason why is that any leader in a company has people underneath them. And if you want people to go with you, they have to have an understanding of where they're going. The leader has got to go slow and always be pointing the team to the mark on the horizon. During this crisis, that has been more true than ever. So if you're a leader in a company and you're wondering why it's been difficult to manage your people through this time, I would ask, have you been communicating with them clearly? Have you been explaining, this is where we're going, these are the decisions that we're going to make, even if they're hard decisions, this is what we have to do to get over here. Communication matters. The next thing is that now's the time to build. Over the last eight years, business has been easy. And there's been a lot of companies that have been able to be lazy because it's just been a matter of surfing the tidal wave. Well, the tidal wave's gone. And it doesn't mean that there's no opportunity. We'll get there in just one second. But what we got to realize is that right now is the time to build. We have the opportunity now to look at our businesses like never before. And as I've been speaking with dealers and manufacturers and distributors across the country, there are a lot of people that are actually excited for what they've learned about their business and they can't wait to take advantage of it on the backside of this crisis. So for anybody listening, this is the time to build. Yes, there's fear. Yes, we don't exactly know what cash flow is going to look like. But the truth is that The choices we have are we can work on building for something better or we can hunker down and die the death of a thousand cuts as we are not relevant in the post-COVID world. As I've been teaching these webinars, what I'm seeing is a hunger in our industry for businesses that are throwing away the status quo. They're realizing that they can't just rely on the brand equity that they thought they had. Instead, they have to dig deep and find the best practices and the best people so that they can serve their customers even more in the coming years. The very last thing, and I'll end the podcast here, opportunity is now here. If you ever heard Tim Rethlick speak, and I think this is a Zig Ziglar thing as well, there's a phrase that gets written on a board. And if you're in the audience, you have the choice of how to pronounce it. And you can pronounce it one of two ways. Either opportunity is nowhere or opportunity is now here. I firmly believe the second one is the case. Obviously, our economy has been dramatically impacted, and there's people that are afraid to get out of their houses and afraid to spend money. But the truth is that folks are still spending money. And we have the opportunity now to connect to our customers in ways that we never imagined. Now more than ever, people are wanting to connect and interact with other people. That bodes well for our businesses. Now more than ever, people have had a chance to live in their homes with their ugly fireplaces and fire pits outside. That bodes really, really well for us. Opportunity is now here for the companies who see it. For those who want to play to win and not to lose, we can change the way that our industry is connected with customers, and that starts today.
So with that in mind, I hope that you guys have an amazing rest of your week. I hope that you're not making decisions out of fear, but rather you're stepping up to be the intentional leader that your team needs you to be. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into